This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. Thank you all so much. You do such a great job every week. Open your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark. If you were new today or traveling from out of town, we are walking through Mark's Gospel, and we have come this morning to chapter 6, and we're talking this morning about missed opportunities and mission opportunities. Mark chapter 6, and we're going to look at the first 29 verses of the 6th chapter this morning. Missed opportunities and mission opportunities is what we see here. Let's look at it together. Mark 6 and beginning with verse 1. Jesus went away from there and came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard him were astonished saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary? And brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, and are not his, his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the village, villages teaching. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house... Stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said... John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said he is Elijah. And others said he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests, 
And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, For what should I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would take it now and that you would bless it to our understanding. Open our eyes that we would behold wonderful things in your law. We pray that by the power of your spirit now, that you would penetrate into the deep recesses of our hearts. We know that your word is living and active And we pray that you would do all kinds of good things and bring forth fruit that will make an impact on this world and fruit that would remain in our lives and that would bless our families, our church family, and the world that we've called to minister to for you. Bless these crucial moments together, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It is no secret that sex sells in our culture. And if it is a sex scandal, then it sells even better. And if it is sex combined with royalty or celebrity or fame, then sales shoot through the roof. And we see all of those things in this passage today. A sex scandal, power, glory, celebrity. But what we also see is that Jesus calls us away from the the sordid preoccupations of our culture to the way of humility and sacrifice. And what we also see here is that if we do not heed the call of Jesus, that what happens is that we actually step into missed opportunities and step away from mission opportunities that could change our lives and change our church and change our world. We're going to talk about missed opportunities and mission opportunities today. The first thing that we see in this text is a missed opportunity as Jesus goes back to his hometown of Nazareth. Let's look at verse 1. He went away from there and came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. In one time in Acts, the Apostle Paul is talking to a group of people and he tells them, that he is from Tarsus, which is no insignificant city. Well, Jesus was from a very 
insignificant city. Nazareth was nothing. Today, it's a a rather bustling Arab-Israeli city, but in the first century, it was just a tiny village on a rocky hillside, 500 people at most, probably considerably less, lived in the tiny village of Nazareth. Now you would expect that they would have been proud that a a hometown boy had achieved such fame, that he was doing all of these wonderful things, he attracted this massive following, and that he would have been welcomed home to Nazareth with a hero's welcome. But that was not the case. Verses 2 and 3. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. This is not a case of sort of these small town folks being jealous of the local boy made good. If you read it on the surface, you might think that, but that's not what's going on. It is the message that Jesus brings to the synagogue that day that is so deeply offensive to them. Now, Luke tells us a bit more about that message. Luke 4 and verses 25 and following tell us that Jesus went into the the, the synagogue on that day and among other things, he said this to them. He said, but in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up for three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land and Elijah was sent to none of them but only to Zarephath. And the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. And none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. Ouch. What Jesus is telling them is that just as in the days of Elijah and Elisha, when God sent them to the Gentiles instead of to their own Jewish people who had rejected God. God sent, in these two cases, His prophets who had been rejected by their own people. God sent them away to Gentiles and God blessed Gentiles. And everybody got the point. Nobody missed the point. They just didn't like the point. (laughs) And the point was this. Jesus was saying that that what was happening in his ministry was that the people who should have known better, people like the good folks of Nazareth, people like the people who were in his hometown synagogue that day, the people who should have known better, the people who should have been the ultimate insiders had made themselves outsiders because of their rejection of what God was doing. And the people who were the outsiders, the tax collectors, the sinners, the outcast, Gentiles, 
they were becoming the insiders because they were humbling themselves and they were repenting before the face of God. And God was extending His blessing on them. Now listen, this was deeply, deeply offensive to the people of Nazareth. Because Jesus is basically coming and He's saying, Hey, listen, your dreams are wrong. Because their dream was what? Their dream was that the Messiah was going to come kicked the Romans out. They blamed all their problems on uh, foreign occupation and so forth. The Messiah was going to come, kick the Romans out. They didn't, have, they're, they're, they didn't have any problems themselves. It was all about what other people were doing to them. And, uh, and, and the Messiah was going to come and he was going to kick the Romans out, fix everything, right? Jesus comes and he says, you need to quit blaming others and you need to take a look in the mirror and you need to humble yourself and repent. And how did they take that message? Luke continues, beginning in verse 28. says, when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. Welcome home, Jesus. Listen, if Jesus had come to them with the message that they wanted to hear, then they would have welcomed him like a hero. If Jesus had just come, come to them and he had said, Hey, listen, you guys are terrific, and all your problems are somebody else's fault, and I'm going to fix everything. Hey, they... They would, have, they would have wanted to crown him king, not throw him off a cliff. But he didn't come with that message. Listen, that message is a deeply appealing message, right? I mean, we see this in our culture. We see it in the political world, okay? Because uh, it's very tempting for politicians of all spectrums from both the left and the right, they may be appealing to different groups of people, but the basic underlying message is often this. All your problems are somebody else's fault. You're terrific. All your problems are due to somebody else, and I'm going to fix everything. That's a deeply appealing message. Suppose someone came along and they said, your problem is that you need to look in the mirror and humble yourself and pray and repent before God. That doesn't win votes. Right? That, that gets you thrown off cliffs. That gets your head separated from your body. That can get you nailed to a cross, which is exactly how, what we're going to see, this is how it's going to play out. Jesus is headed to Jerusalem to die on a cross for, for self-seeking, glory-seeking people like the people of Nazareth and people like you and me. That's what's going to happen. 
Verse 4. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. You know, at this point, if Jesus were running for Messiah, he couldn't get the votes of his own family members. Now, how do you account? We've already seen this, right? Chapter 3, Mary and his siblings go from Nazareth down to, over to Capernaum, and they want to bring him home, right? They think he's gone off the deep end. How do you account for the fact that their lives change so dramatically? I mean, we know that Mary became a very a revered person in the life of the early church. James, because his brother James becomes not just a leader, but the leader of the church in Jerusalem and dies as a martyr for the Christian faith. What transforms these people from skeptics to people who are willing to to pay the ultimate price for their faith? It's the resurrection. This, This once again brings us back to the centrality of the resurrection of Christ. How do you explain the early church apart from the resurrection? How do you explain the transformation in the lives of people like his, his family members, apart from the fact that Jesus really did rise from the dead and they were eyewitnesses to it. The burden of proof is on you to explain that. It's, the burden of proof is on any skeptic to, 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 to offer an explanation for that. It's because of the resurrection. But at this point, they're not believing And we see the results of that in in verses 5 and 6. And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them, and he marveled because of their unbelief. Jesus can do very little ministry there. Why? Because of their unbelief. Their unbelief limited his ability to work among them. Now, this is something that we see throughout Mark. There is a direct link between the ability of God to work supernaturally in our lives and the degree to which we believe Him or don't believe Him. There's a direct link between our trust in God and the ability of God to, to unleash supernatural blessings in our lives. We see this again and again in the Gospel of Mark. We saw it in chapter 2 and verse 5. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. We saw it again in, in chapter 5. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. We're going to see it again in chapter 9. As Jesus comes across a father who's son has been oppressed by demons and he says to Jesus it is often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him but if you can do anything have compassion on us and help us and Jesus said to him if you can all things are possible for the one who believes we're going to see it in chapter 10 where Jesus says to a person Go your way. Your faith has made you well. We're going to see it again in chapter 11 when Jesus says, Have faith in God. 
Truly I say to you, whoever says this mountain be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Now, conversely, Hebrews 11.6 tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please God. God is not pleased by people who say that they trust Him, but demonstrate something different in their actions. God is pleased with people who genuinely trust Him. And if we genuinely trust Him, then that is going to be seen in our everyday lives. So what does this mean? Getting very practical about it. This would mean that when we leave here, that that thing that we're tempted to worry about, that we place it in God's hands and leave it in His hands. How freeing would that be? This would mean that maybe instead of jumping down someone's throat that instead you choose to pray for that person and trust God to work in their lives. It might mean that when you go to work or when you go to school, that you begin to do your your work for the glory of God and you trust that God is going to bless your efforts. And it means that when you face challenges at school or work, that you take those things to the Lord in prayer. And you trust Him to work and to help you and to intervene supernaturally. It means that when you are in conversation with people and you're, and you're trying to figure out, you know, how do, how, do I, how do I show love to this person well? Or how can I speak of Jesus in this situation? It means that you, you trust God and you, you, and you act or you, you speak. You're trusting, you're trusting Him to, to give you words. You're trusting Him to guide you as to how you can, can show love to this person in this situation. It means that when you have the opportunity to, to do ministry, maybe through our church, that the question in your mind is not, uh, you know, am I adequate to do this? You're asking another question. And that is, what could God do through me if I'm trusting Him? It means that when you deal with money and your finances, it means that you're not withholding tithes and offerings because you believe that God is going to to intervene and to bless your giving and more than make up for what you're giving. And actually, that's an area that is incredibly helpful to us when we try to discern how our faith is doing. And the reason is this. The way that we deal with money and approach the issue of giving is a, is, is a real test case because we can be very self-deceived, right? We're, we're all great at self-deception. That issue is so helpful in revealing to us the degree to which we actually believe what we say we believe. And if you want to experience the supernatural blessing of God in your life, then pretty much the last thing you would want to do is withhold 
tithes and offerings from the Lord. Do you believe God when he says to us in his word in Malachi 3, Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you in tithes and offerings? You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you were robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Do you believe God when he says that? Do you believe Jesus when he says in Luke 6.38, Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Do you believe the Apostle Paul when he says in 2 Corinthians 9, Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Either you believe the Bible or you don't. And what, and what <laughs> the test case for whether you actually believe it is not what you say you believe. It is what you do in your actions that reveal whether or not you genuinely trust God. You say, well, you should, see, you should see my the state of my finances. You should see my bottom line. Hey, time out. This is not about what we can see. Faith is not an issue of what we see. It's not. Hebrews 11.1 1 says this. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. 2 Corinthians 5.7 says we are called to, to do what? To walk by faith and not by sight. This is the scandal of the American church. The scandal of the American church is this. People who have so much and give so little. And if you don't think we have so much, then travel a little bit beyond our borders. And you will see. By the standards of the vast majority of the world, all of us have a lot. And we give very little in comparison. And here's the tragedy of that. It's not so much that that puts stress on church budgets and limits our ability to do ministry, although that's tragic and so unnecessary. The worst part, and the part that burdens me the most as a pastor, is that I know that people are missing opportunities for God's supernatural blessings to be unleashed in their lives. Some of you are putting massive limits on what God can do in your life because of your refusal to trust Him in this area. It doesn't have to be that way. You can step out in faith and you can trust God. And God invites you to test Him. God says, test me in this and see. 
I dare you. God is faithful. God is faithful. And, 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 the, and the blockage of God's blessing that is in some of your lives right now because of your refusal to trust him, that blockage will be removed if you'll step out in faith and trust him. And you're going to see a supernatural God begin to work supernaturally in your life. What about healing? We're talking about this in this passage, the, 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 the link between belief or unbelief and healing. God heals. God heals. And we should be far bolder in asking God to heal and praying for that. But as we do it, we should always bear in mind that it's, the ultimate healing is not here on earth. The people that Jesus healed during his ministry eventually died. And our ultimate healing is going to be what? When Jesus comes again and we get raised with glorified bodies that are not going to be subject to disease or aging or death at all. That's coming. But yes, we should pray and pray boldly for healing. God heals we see a missed opportunity, don't we, in Nazareth? Tragic, tragic missed opportunity. That's the worst thing about sin, by the way. The worst thing about sin is the things that we miss out on. The, the, the incredible things that we miss when we disobey God. Missed opportunity. Second, we see a mission opportunity beginning in verse 7. Let's look at it. He called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. See, Jesus has no intention for this to be a solo act. He has been investing in these men and now he is going to send them out. That's what the church is to do. The, the church is about bringing people in, building them up, and then sending them out. The only way that our church can truly win people to Christ or make a difference in our city and in our world is when the audience turns into an army that is unleashed to go and do ministry in your everyday lives. That's when incredible things begin to happen. And Jesus here is sending them out and sends us out with authority Verse 7 says, in the Great Commission, Jesus begins by saying in verse 18 of Matthew 28, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. And so we go forth under his authority and with his presence. He said, I'm going to be with you to the very end of the age. And therefore, we should go forth with confidence because we go forth in the authority of Jesus. Now look at verses 8 and 9. He gives them some instructions as they go out. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. What's happening here? So Jesus tells them that you are not to take extra food or money. When he says no bag, he's talking about no bag for begging. No, no begging. Um, and, uh, and then he tells them not to take two tunics. 
See, usually they would take, if they took two tunics, they would wear one and they would use the other one as a bedroll to sleep on. Jesus says, don't do that. Don't do that. Now, the correct interpretation of this would not be, don't take any money on a mission trip, okay? Or don't secure lodging before a mission trip. That's, that's bad interpretation, okay? Um, what Jesus is saying here, he's saying to, to them in this situation, and he's saying it for a very specific reason. In traveling light like this, in not taking these provisions with them, they were going to offer a test, a test of receptivity to the places that they were entering, the towns and the villages that they were entering. This was going to be a test of their receptivity to the things of God. That's why he gives these instructions. And he tells them this in verses 10 and 11. He says to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. Now, there's nothing vindictive about this. It's not what it is. It's, it's basically the, sort of the way, if there's a point of comparison with the way we use language today in our culture, it would be when we say, I, I, I wash my hands of, of, of this. In other words, I've done what I can, you know. And so um, Jesus here is, is, knows that there, there are so many places that, that will be receptive to the message. He says you can't stay long in a place that is, is not receptive because there are so many who would be receptive if they had the opportunity to hear. Now, again, we have to be very careful to in, interpret this well and not get into, into poor hermeneutics because there are many places where missionaries go today where there is not going to be immediate fruit. Fruit is only going to come in, all, in many mission fields and in many churches. Fruit is not, does not come immediately. It comes through a lot of perseverance, a lot of patience, a lot of prayer, and, and it may take years before the full fruit begins to, to, to blossom, okay? And so, um, you know, this is not a license just to sort of go and if people, you know, aren't immediately, you know, receptive that, that, that we leave. But in this situation, right, when the kingdom is, is breaking in and, and there are many villages for them to go to, uh, Jesus says that you, 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 can't, you can't stay for long. There are many places in the world... Uh, where the people actually are receptive, but the fruit is not going to be there for a while because of for all kinds of, of factors. It takes years for understanding to come about and for the, the seeds of the gospel begin to germinate uh, and, to, and to produce uh, life. But there is a principle here that we need to, to, to understand, and, and, and it's this. God goes where he's wanted. Do you know why? Christianity is exploding in the developing world and why it's pretty much stagnated or going down in America and Western Europe? It's because God goes where he's wanted. And we think we don't need God because we have too much. And we need to repent of our self-sufficiency, our self-dependence, and our greed. 
That's what that's a message that uh, that Jesus sends them out with, right? And in verse 12, they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. That's us. If America wants to see God rend the heavens and come down once again, we need to repent of our pride, our self-sufficiency, our self-reliance. Mission opportunity. We see another missed opportunity beginning in verse 14. King Herod heard it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are working him. Others said he's Elijah, and others said he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. Now this shows us the degree to which Herod is haunted. He is a haunted man. Because of what he has done to John the Baptist. Verse 17. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. Here's what was going on. Herod was married to a princess, but then he starts having an, an affair with his niece, Herodias, and takes up with and marries her, and she happens to be married to his half-brother, Philip. <laughs> it is a sordid tale. And unfortunately, Herod has a godly person in his life who cares about him enough to tell him the truth. And that was John the Baptist. Verse 18, for John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. But truth-telling, particularly truth-telling to people in power, can be a dangerous proposition. And we, we see here in verses 19 and 20, and Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. Now this shows us the degree to which Herod was a conflicted man. On the one hand, he's strangely attracted to the ministry of John. He probably knows that John genuinely cares about him. And he, and he feels somehow drawn to the message John is preaching, yet at the same time, he's living this immoral life and he's enjoying his sin and he wants to persist in his sin. He's conflicted, like a lot of people in our world today. But what an opportunity he had. Look, God in his grace had put Herod in proximity to the truth. He had put him in proximity to, to someone who, who genuinely loved him and cared about him enough to tell him the truth. And Herod could have repented. He could have become a godly leader, a godly shepherd for his people and for his family. And you know, so many good things could have opened up. But he blows it. He blows it big time. What happens Verses 21 and 22. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet 
for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guest, and the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. Now, this is obviously some sort of an erotic dance that is happening. And these men are all drunk including Herod, and just as drunkenness is often linked to illicit sexual activity, drunkenness is often linked to stupidity, rash, stupid words. And so a drunken Herod makes this stupid promise that he'll give her whatever she asks, and then he doubles down on it. Verse 23. And he vowed to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half my kingdom. And what happens then? Verse 24. She went out and said to her mother, for what should I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. And Herod, in order to save face with his cronies, goes through with it. Things did not end well for him. He dies in exile, physical exile and spiritual exile because the opportunity was right in front of him and he missed it. The truth, God's favor, God's blessing was right in front of him and he missed it. It was 10 minutes till 8 on a busy Friday morning in D.C. A young man dressed in a black t-shirt, black jeans, and a Washington Nationals baseball cap rode the escalator up a subway station in the metro in D.C., positioned himself against the wall, took out a violin which appeared to have some age on it and for the next 45 minutes began to play classical music. Over the next 45 minutes, over a thousand people would stream by. No crowd gathered. No one stopped. None of them noticed that the young man was... Joshua Bell, one of the most acclaimed violinists in the world. A a man who typically doesn't play in subway stations, but who plays in the most celebrated concert halls in the world in front of crowds that try to suppress their coughs so that they won't miss a note of what's being played. No one noticed that the instrument that he took out of his violin case was a 300-year-old Stradivarius violin that's worth $3.5 million. The whole scene was created for beauty. Some of the most beautiful music ever written, being played on one of the most finely crafted instruments ever made by one of the most talented musicians in the world. And they walk by with their 
earbuds in, listening to their own music, right? Staring at their phone screen, going on with their busy day. Listen, it was all there before them, and the opportunity was missed. Why? Because in order to get what was happening, you would have to stop and pay attention. God is calling us to stop. Stop. This is why we're here. This is why we're in worship. You come aside. We stop. Stop. Evaluate. Where are you in your walk with God? Do you have a walk with God? Do you genuinely trust God or do you just say you do? Stop and pay attention. Where am I? Where am I in my life? In my walk with God. Your life is filled with opportunities. Your choices will determine whether those things are missed opportunities or mission opportunities. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the conviction that your word brings and the way that it penetrates uh, to us. Uh, Lord, your, your word reads us and it, and, it, and it sees us. And we pray that you give us the grace to humble ourselves before you and repent. Lord, help us to repent of our, of our pride, our self-sufficiency. our greed, all the things in our life that are blocking the flow of your blessing. Father, help us to humble ourselves by your grace before you that your, that your supernatural work might be unleashed in us and through us. May it not be said of us as it was said of the people of Nazareth, that you could do no mighty work in our lives because of our unbelief. Life is too short to waste. Help us not to miss the opportunity that lies before us to live for you, to make an impact for you. Help us to walk by faith. Father, I pray that you would ignite faith in anyone here who doesn't yet know Jesus. She would open the eyes of hearts to see the Savior, to see His great love, to see His sacrifice on the cross for sinners like all of us and His resurrection from the dead which makes new life and abundant life and eternal life possible. Father, would you grip hearts and open the eyes of hearts to see that and to walk through that open door of, of new life in you that we wouldn't miss the opportunity. Speak to our hearts now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here today as somebody who God is such, speaking to you about a relationship with, with Him, if you're here today and God's speaking to you about um, being a part of this church family, it's just a need in your life, you want to pray with someone, um, our altar is open for you. We're, we're here uh, to, to pray for you today as you come. Let's stand together as we sing. I hope you've been blessed by this message. 
Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin. But I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12, To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I can help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.